This morning, we are continuing with our series. Uh, it is called Cast of Characters. And we're going through and looking at key people in the Bible and seeing what we can learn from them. You know, the Bible is an eternal book. Our God is an eternal God. And so he, he inspired his word in a way that it goes thousands of years into the past, thousands of years into the future, and is very relevant and meaningful and true for the present day, the present moment. One of the things we're going to look at this morning is uh, the fact that God, in his grand scheme, in his beautiful tapestry, is aware of every thread, every connection, every intersection, and you are part of that. So as we look at these different people in the Bible, I also want to point out these are true these things are not mythologies, even though maybe your college class list categorizes them under MYT. They are not mythologies. They are true. And the book of Ruth is actually listed as a history in our scripture. We are looking as our key connecting verse at Romans 15:4. It says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance, if you don't have that word, underlined in, underline that one, endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Anybody need hope? There's nothing we need more than hope. And guess what? There's nothing bigger that God provides than the hope, the eternal hope of salvation in relationship with him. Our setting for the book of Ruth is Judges, during the time of the Judges, not the book of Judges. Uh, in Israel's history, before they actually had a king, they had a system of judges in place. And the thing we learn, a series that uh, Pastor Gary did several weeks back, reinforced this for us. We heard the word again and again and again again and again and again, because the main thing we kept coming across in Judges was that Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and again, Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and again, Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. But in response, God would raise up a judge that would deliver them from the predicament they'd put themselves in and would bring them back into right relationship with God, and then they would flourish and prosper and grow, and then that judge would die and pass on, and the Israelites would kind of fade in their faith or something. And again, they would do evil in the sight of the Lord, and God would bring up another judge. All of you imperfect people, is, is there even five or ten in the house besides me? Isn't it good to know that in spite of ourselves, God is faithful. As we look at Ruth today, there are so many themes. There are so many things to talk about. But the main theme we're going to focus on today is what does faithful look like? What does faithful look like? The very last verse in the book of Judges, Judges 21-25 says, In those days Israel had no king, Everyone did as they saw fit. 
Now, this is a national perspective. It's a big picture. It's talking about the government, the leadership, the movement of the armies, and the, the overall tendency of the people. When we move into Ruth, the big shift is that now the perspective is an individual perspective. We're going to look at one person, one family, and see that during this time of Judges, where Israel is going through this difficult period in their relationship with God, back and forth, in and out, that God didn't change. And while he has the nation in his hand, he has the individual in his hand as well. That is a great comfort to me. In the position we are in right now, today, today, if you watch the news today, it's so reassuring to know that God has the big picture. The big tapestry is in his care and that every thread, you and me, each individual is also within his sight and within his direction. He is faithful. So our themes in Ruth, the most popular theme of Ruth is redemption. Because this is where we get um, the main illustration of the kinsman redeemer for Christ. This is where we see the Lord Jesus as our kinsman Redeemer, the one who redeems us. And we'll talk about more the details of that in a little bit. Another theme of Ruth is, uh, sorry, compassion. Another one is identity. And then, like I said today, we're going to focus on faithfulness. Psalm 37, in the English Standard Version, I had to stick this in here because I loved it so much. In the ESV Version, Psalm 37, verse 3 and 4 Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Isn't that good? Befriend faithfulness. Let's grab onto that and keep that in mind as we move forward. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the freedom to gather in this house today or to watch online or to listen, however we are coming together, Lord. I thank you for your presence. I thank you that you see us. I ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts and speak to us by your spirit as only you can for your glory, your purposes today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's look. I want you to, if you have your Bible or have it on your phone or whatever, open your Bible, go to Ruth chapter 1. We're actually going to read the Bible. <laughs> I love it. This is where the truth is. Let's read it. Ruth chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. So they're fleeing famine. There's, um, this isn't like, hey, let's go see if we can make more money in California. It's not that kind of a move, okay? It's uh, actually, I should say, let's go see if we can get cheaper housing in the Midwest. Um, 
It's not that kind of a move. They don't have anything to eat. So they're going to go try to find a place to live where they can actually support themselves. Verse 3, now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. So after he died, the husband died, they married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Remember what I told you? These are real people. This is real grief. This is real hopelessness. This is not just a story. This is a real situation that we can all relate to. Maybe Naomi looks out her front door and does not have any idea which direction her next step should be. What is she going to do? This is a culture where women cannot really support themselves very easily. There aren't many options for women. The number one through 99 on the list of 100 is get married. So she's in a predicament, and now also she has these two daughters-in-law who also don't have husbands, okay? So verse 6, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. So they get down the road a little ways, and all of a sudden Naomi's like, oh, this is a little too hard. Have you ever been there? Have you ever made a commitment and then thought, ah, Come on, if you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. No offense against my husband. Where is he? I'm sure he thought it before I did. <laughs> this isn't exactly what I thought. They made a commitment. She took him with her. Come on, let's go. And all of a sudden, she says, go back to your mother's home. Here's what she's thinking. May the Lord show you kindness if you've shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept out loud. They loved each other very much and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. So they're saying, We're going to go. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Now, what we're going to read now is about the culture and the law of the time. Basically, the land was given and deeded according to family. So um, the land was given to the son, and it was in his name. So if the son died without having any male heirs, then what would happen is that man's brother was obligated in Jerusalem to marry, or in Israel, to marry that widow so that she could have children, and then the children would inherit his land. And that, in that way, they kept the land all in the same lineage. And it was very important to preserve um, their heritage. That's how they did it. But Naomi is saying to these ladies, I'm too old for this, basically. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? Who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. 
Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Make note of that. This is what Naomi believes to be true. She's not lying, but it's just what she believes is true at this time. She doesn't have a way or any hope of taking care of these girls. So at this, this is verse 14, at this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Choices. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. This is Ruth's ticket. Nobody would blame her. Nobody would blame her. She's heading down a road to a land she's never been to before, a people, a culture she's unfamiliar with. They have this crazy custom that the only way she's ever going to get a home is if her old mother-in-law has another kid. Basically, she turns around and says, "I I can't do that, obviously, so, you know, This is your ticket. This is your pass, Ruth. You can go back. Nobody's going to blame you. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Then, when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Took her a while. Took her a while. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Pay attention to this. Naomi says, don't call me Naomi. She told them, call me Mara. Now, Naomi means pleasant, but Mara means bitter. So Naomi says, call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Ruth makes a choice on the road. They're traveling. There's Orpah, Ruth, and Naomi. Naomi gives her her ticket out. Ruth chooses faithfulness. She chooses faithfulness, even though we find out in a minute, a couple verses down, that her sacrifice seems unappreciated or even unnoticed by Naomi. Naomi says, I came back empty, but that's not true. She came back with Ruth. Have you ever been unnoticed? So she comes back and she says, call me bitter. There's an irony here. There's an irony. Her view is that God has turned against her. 
that we need to watch the whole story, don't we? Naomi chooses in this moment, she chooses bitterness. Her hopelessness and despair become her identity. I want to point out, though, she calls herself Mara. Nobody else called her Mara. Everybody else called her Naomi. We live in a time where to be a victim is more common than not. I know, I know that things can happen and that we can actually be victims. Victim means helpless. But I'm telling you right now, don't grab a hold of that and own it. Don't say, call me bitter. You don't have to make that your identity. You have power through Christ. You have power. You have freedom. Don't say, call me bitter. If you have someone in your life that has grabbed a hold of this hopelessness, I want to encourage you. Don't call them bitter. Look at them and see them the way God sees them. See them as the child of God that they are. See them as the work of God that they are. See the hand of God in them. See the plan of God for them. And speak to them in that way. Don't feed this hopelessness. We have hope. We have hope in us. The Spirit of God is our hope, and it lives within us. The Spirit of Christ, the resurrection, the power of life is in us. Speak that life to others. Refuse to accept that there is no hope for yourself, but also for others. Don't call them bitter. So in chapter 2, I'm not going to read the whole chapter this time, Ruth does the next thing. She finds work and she meets Boaz. The next thing, what is the next thing? The next thing is gleaning. Oh my goodness. Here's these two ladies. She's faithful to her mother-in-law. They go into this strange land and Naomi knows the culture and she says to Ruth, basically, here's what we can do. You can go out and glean. Now, gleaning, you know, we kind of milk it down a little bit. And we talk about gleaning from our neighbors and we learn from our, you know, our friends and our peers. And, um, but gleaning in those days was actually gleaning from the field. So they had these big harvest uh, times. So this was the barley, the barley harvest. And the men would go through and swipe a blade along at the base of the barley. And then they would bundle it all up in these big, huge bundles. And every once in a while, they would miss one, and it would drop to the ground. So the gleaners, the women who had no other means of income, would come along after them. So they're moving along with the harvest, and the women would come along after them and bend over and pick up off the ground anything that they had dropped. This is the heat of the day early morning to late night, long hours. And after they put in all this work, all this bending up and down, 
hard on your back, hard on your knees, all this work. And they didn't get promoted. They didn't get a raise for this hard work. What did they get? Dinner. Yeah, dinner. This was hard work. But Ruth, when she signed up to be faithful to Naomi, she did the next thing. I want to encourage you. Whatever you have to do, do it. The work you have in front of you, do it. Don't forget what do we start with? God is faithful. God is faithful. So all through the Bible, you're going to find examples of this. Saul, when he was a tall, handsome guy, his dad sends him out to look for a stray donkey. Now, come on, that's beneath him. He's this popular guy. He's good looking. He has to go look for a donkey. But his dad sends him out to look for a donkey. And while he's looking for the donkey, Samuel comes along with a meal that he had prepared and the anointing as king. He was just doing an errand. That's where he met God's plan. David, let's talk about David. David's a shepherd boy, out with his sheep. He's just doing his job. Nobody's looking. His dad's not there. His older brothers aren't there. And a bear comes along, and he could kill the sheep. Bears are scary. I mean, this is real, you guys. <laughs> it's not a fake bear. It's not a cute bear. It's a bear, and it comes along, and David could take his ticket out. He could, he could take his excuse and run with it. He could go home and say, hey, Dad, he only got two sheep, but it was a bear. And the dad probably would have said, okay, all right, I get it. It was a bear. You're good. But instead, what did David do? His job was to protect the sheep, so he protected the sheep. He killed the bear, and he killed the lion, and he didn't know that he was building the resume he needed when he stood in front of Saul, and nobody had the courage to stand up to Goliath. And David stood in front of King Saul and said, I've killed a lion, and I've killed a bear, and I will stand in front of that giant. David didn't kill the lion so that he could become king, so that he could make a name for himself. He killed the lion because it was the next thing to do. Whatever you're doing, do the next thing. Be faithful. Do it with all your heart. Do the faithful thing. Do the next thing. You do not know. You do not know what God is preparing you to do. You do not know the work that God is doing on the inside of you to prepare you. Next week, we're going to hear about Joseph. Oh, my goodness. Do you think anybody would ever say, hey, let me go spend a few years in prison so that I'll be prepared? No. See, we don't know because we can only see the threads that are near us. We can't see the whole tapestry. We can't see the whole picture. God can, and we can trust him. He is faithful. Ruth's faithfulness, continued faithfulness, puts her at the right place for God's divine appointment.
Boaz calls her, uh, he says in verse 11 that he's been told all about her. She's made a reputation for herself by her work and her faithfulness. In chapter 3, Ruth chooses bold obedience. Her mother-in-law tells her a strategy, kind of a little scheme of things to do. Her mother-in-law finds out she's working for Boaz, and also she knows Boaz is a close relative of theirs. So remember what we talked about in the first chapter where she says, you know, I'm not going to have any more sons because that's how the land was transferred. So now she finds out Boaz is in the picture, and she knows that Boaz can serve as a kinsman redeemer because he's a relative. So she basically tells Ruth to go to him at night. You guys, this is sketchy. It really is. Go to him at night. Sneak into the camp where it's only men sleeping, guarding the crop, and sneak in and lay down near Boaz's feet and cover yourself with his robe. <gasps> what? Would you tell your daughter to do that? Please say no. Okay. But here's the thing. Basically, in their culture, she was saying, would you cover me? She was asking him to marry her. She is an impoverished widow who picks up her food off the ground. She's not in any kind of a status situation. He is a wealthy landowner. He has a name and a reputation in the community. And she says... Will you marry me? Because her mother-in-law told her to. Come on, that's some boldness. That's some bold obedience. What's the result of this brave move? He says, yes. He says, of course I will. Of course I will. Verse 11 of chapter 3. Now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Because of her character, he responds without fear. Okay? He, this word noble character is the same phrase that's used in Proverbs 31. The woman of noble character is what uh, Boaz calls Ruth right here. Naomi chooses at this point to hope. Finally, Naomi's got some hope. In verse 18 of chapter 3, she says, then, then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. See, Boaz had a reputation as well. He had a reputation connected to faithfulness and to compassion and to integrity. So Naomi basically says to Ruth, if he said he'll do it, he'll do it. Can I ask you something? If you say you'll show up, do you show up? Do people know that you're going to be there if you say you're going to be there? If you say you're going to do it, do they know it's done and they move on and they're not worried? Or do they have to keep following up, following up, following up? Faithful. Faithful. See, Boaz was faithful too. In chapter 4, Boaz chooses courageous humility and generosity. 
He chooses others-focused action. It takes some humility because, like I said, he's a man of standing. Basically, in chapter 4, there's a group of 10 men that met at the gate, and they could serve as a legal, uh, like a jury. They could serve as legal judges for the situations that came up in their culture in their time. They would bring it to these men. So Boaz goes in front of these men, and he finds out that there's another person that is a closer relative than he is. So in front of this group of 10, he asks the, the other relative, the closer relative, hey, are you, you're the closest relative. Are you going to redeem Naomi's land? So Boaz is pretty smart and strategic here. Uh, he says, are you going to redeem Naomi's land? And the guy, first, his first answer is yes, I'll do it, yes. Why? Because he gets to put out some money and he gets to add to his amount of land that he owns himself. He'll own this land. It's a good investment. It's going to pay off in the future. And then Boaz says, oh, and by the way, if you buy this land, if you redeem this land, you're also going to get with the land, you're going to get the widow, Ruth. And you're going to marry her, and she's going to have to have children, and the land's actually going to go to her children. He, you know, they all knew the, how it worked. So the guy says, oh, wait a minute. That's a little more risk than I wanted to take. Because now not only would he make an investment and a sacrifice to buy this land, but also he would have to support Ruth and Naomi for the rest of their lives. And when Ruth had children, the land would go to her sons and be in the name of her first husband. So he would get nothing in return. And all of a sudden, doing the right thing. This doesn't happen to us, does it? Does this happen to us? We're going to do the right thing. We're going to make a commitment. On Sunday morning, we pledge to God, I will or I won't. We walk into work the next day, and ooh, that's a little bit higher price than I thought. My boss is going to be mad if I don't fudge those numbers. My friends are going to kind of push me out of the group if I'm nice to this other person that's not popular. What? What if I stick up for that person? What if I give too much and I don't have enough left? That's not even possible. It's not possible. But still, we talk ourselves out of it. Oh, the investment isn't quite safe enough. Boaz chooses courageous humility and generosity. He chooses others-focused action. This is the process that Naomi was talking about. In verse 9 of chapter 4, Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Others focused, right? 
Verse 11, then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephratah and be famous in Bethlehem through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Tamar was also a foreigner. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Verse 16, then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Let's go through this really quickly. Main point, God weaves together weaves together the obedience and the faithfulness of his people to bring about his redemptive purposes in the world. See, it's about you. It's about me, but it's not only about you and about me. It's about bringing redemption to the world. Boaz and Ruth, they gained all that they were lacking, each of them. They became a part of the lineage of David which is also the lineage of the Messiah. Naomi's family line was restored. She gained a son, a guardian redeemer, and a daughter. When we're redeemed, we become part of the story of redemption. When we are saved, we become witnesses for the Savior. When we lay aside our own ambitions, he uses us to write love on the earth. He does not forget about the individual. We are not pawns. We are children. He is our father, and our father is faithful. Psalm 37 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. We read this at the beginning. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. See, he's faithful to comfort. He's faithful to provide He is faithful to love, and he's faithful to his promise. He's also faithful to his plan of salvation. So when we're stuck, hopeless, devastated, like maybe today, when you're promoted, when you're blessed, when you have plenty, maybe today, when you're unsure, When you're impatient, when you're afraid, just don't know where to go, maybe like today. Remember, God is faithful. God sees you. He sees you, and you can trust him. When you don't know what to do, I want to encourage you. Here it is. Do the faithful thing. Do the thing full of faith. Do the thing you said you would do. Keep your word. Keep your promise. Remind yourself that your father is faithful and you can be faithful too. Do the next thing. Whatever you're working on, do it. Do it well. 
Do it with trust in God that you don't know the extent and the wonder of his plans for you. Don't sit down and wait for him to send you an opportunity. You need to be on the road of obedience because he has prepared the opportunity. And you need to be where you're supposed to be so that you'll run into it. Do the next thing. Do the bold thing. Sometimes it's scary to do the right thing. Sometimes it's scary to love again, forgive again. Sometimes it's going to cost a lot. Do the bold thing and do always the others focused thing. That's who our God is. That's who our Father is. He is faithful and he has a plan. You're part of a story bigger than your own. You're part of God's perfect plan of salvation and of redemption for yourself and for the world. So let me encourage you. What does faith look like? What does faithful look like? God. It looks like God. And it looks like his people. It looks like his followers. I've been reading a book by Bob Goff. We're actually going to have a life group in the fall that's going to go through this book and video series. I want you to join this group. If you're not part of a group, join this one. Everybody always. He says in this book, we ask, is my life working for me? And the real question is, is my life working for those around me? That's the question. Be faithful. Remember, 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Lord, I've made commitments to you. Show me how to step out. Remind me to be faithful because I trust you because you, Lord, you are faithful. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, that you do not neglect your promises, that you see them through to the end. We can count on you. God, help us to be like you. Help us to represent you as your children. Help us to have faith in you and to run to you boldly and obey you with abandon because you have a plan and we are part of that plan. Teach us, God. Teach us, God to be faithful. In your name I pray, amen.